Thank you for joining us as we kick off this brand new series called Should I? Let me begin by reading a piece written by Kelly Carter Jackson, who's a professor at Wellesley College. She penned this piece for the publication The Atlantic. Here's what she writes. Fourteen years ago, the day before Thanksgiving, I lost my sister Tracy to breast cancer. She was 37, married, and the mother of three children. I can't remember what happened the next day, whether we ate or not, or even who cooked. Everything was a blur. A couple of days after we laid Tracy to rest, my mother called me to say that William, my only brother, was being hospitalized. Doctors didn't know what was wrong, but he couldn't breathe. I refused to believe that anything bad could happen to him, that the world could be this cruel, this relentless, but four days after he was hospitalized, my brother died. I had not yet unpacked my bags from Tracy's funeral. The grief was so overwhelming, so consuming, so mind-boggling that I collapsed. Two weeks after William's funeral, it was Christmas. My four sisters and I all gathered at my parents' home. It was like we were sleepwalking there, but not really present. There is the quote. I share this article because we're all living in a time of unprecedented loss and unprecedented grief. As a matter of fact, I mentioned last week that COVID is the third leading cause of death here in America. And the John Hopkins COVID Resource Center estimates that we are close to about a million people having lost their lives as a result of COVID. And that, that translates into about nine million people who are grieving. And with COVID being the third leading cause of death and grief, Cancer is the second leading cause of death and grief. And, of course, heart disease is number one. When you add all these numbers up, it's staggering how many of us are grappling with grief at this very moment. Staggering. Matter of fact, some of you are watching me alone in your home or, or over your phone or computer Some of you may be sitting with family and friends. Others are sitting in our campus in the San Jose area. And what I would encourage you to do, I'm going to ask you to do now, is that if you've lost a loved one in the last two years, I just simply want you to join me and raise your hand. Now, I'm raising my hand as one who has lost not just one, but several loved ones over the last two years. And I want to say to all of us who are raising our hands that God sees us, and that we are not alone. You know, if we could just suddenly show a picture of everybody who's raising their hands across the country and across the world uh, in the midst of this teaching, we would be astounded at how many hands are being raised right now, folk watching this broadcast. So the real question for us that we have to grapple with is really the question that's centered around, should I engage or ignore my grief? That's the first should I that we want to talk about uh, this weekend. Should I 
engage or ignore my grief. Now, of course, there are a number of us who the automatic answer is, well, of course we should engage. But the fact of the matter is, and this goes uh, doubly so for those of us who are believers, that our natural instincts happens to be to escape, try to escape our grief, to press our grief down, to avoid the grief, uh, uh, to, to pretend that it does not exist. And yet part of the premise of what I'm teaching today is simply this, that we are one week on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus. We're one week on the other side of the cry that was heard around the world and across the universe. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. And the reality of this, this extraordinary good news should, should be the source of strength that allows us to engage our grief and not run from it. Notice how Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He makes this point in a very eloquent way. He's writing to the believers there uh, in the city of Thessalonica, and here's what he says. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who have died. And we don't want you to grieve like other people who have no hope. Now, notice what he says. Well, first of all, notice what he did not say. He did not say, we do not want you to grieve. Some of the times, often uh, through what we sometimes say in the church context, even from the pulpit, might suggest to some of you that, you that there's something wrong with grieving. Notice what Paul says. He does not say, don't grieve. He simply says, don't grieve as those who have no hope. To put it another way, by all means grieve, but grieve as one who has hope. And the hope that you have should in, empower you, strengthen you, give you the capacity to do the difficult work of grieving. Well, what is the hope? Notice what the text goes on to say. He says, he says here's the hope. He's talking about faith now. We believe that Jesus died. That's Good Friday. That's crucifixion. And came back to life. That's, that's resurrection Sunday morning. We just celebrated it last week. And, 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 and the benefit of that as it relates to us pushing through our grief, we also believe that through Jesus, God will bring back those who have died. And they will come back with Jesus. There is our hope. There is our faith. It's, it's, a, it's linked to the one who has conquered death through resurrection. So, here's the premise plainly stated that I want you to internalize. The hope from Jesus' resurrection gives us the strength to engage rather than to run from our grief. Now, I want to back into this teaching by beginning to talk just a few moments, if you will allow me, about calendar. Can somebody say calendar? Yes, the calendar. You know, we often read in Scripture that, that Jesus died on Good Friday and he rose on the first day of the Jewish, for the first day of the week for the Jewish calendar, which happens to be Sunday. And we try to count it up from Friday to Sunday. The scriptures always say on the third day, it doesn't seem to equal out. The third day, the third day. So let's talk a little bit about calendar. Notice Luke chapter 23. Notice what the writer says here. Then he's talking about Joseph, not to be confused with Joseph married to Mary, but a different Joseph who sat on the Sanhedrin council and was a, a scripture says, a secret disciple of Jesus. 
he took the body down from the cross, that's Jesus' body, wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth. You can feel the grief and the trauma even as we're reading this. And laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. And then it says, notice the time frame. This was done late on Friday afternoon. Late on Friday afternoon. The day of preparation for the Passover is what it means. As the Sabbath was about to begin, but had not yet started. So the text suggests that Jesus was buried before the Sabbath started. Somebody shout calendar, shout calendar. When we think about calendar, often we think about a 24-hour kind of day, right? Uh, Midnight Monday runs all the way till uh, 12 a.m. Tuesday. That's how... We think about days. It shapes our calendar. In the Jewish context, the calendar, uh, the, 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 the day ran from sundown on one day to sundown the next day. So here's what we're looking at. So day one, Jesus died on Friday and was buried before sundown, before the Sabbath began. That's day one. From sundown Friday evening to sundown Saturday evening, that's day two. Jesus is in the grave. From sundown Saturday evening to sundown Sunday evening, that's day three. And Jesus rises early in the morning on day three. You see, three days. Somebody shout three days. Now, I want to come back to this in just a second. Let me me just make this next point. In light of Easter... Here's the question. How do I confront my grief as a believer? In light of Easter, how do I confront my grief? Okay, here's the first thing that's going to help us to confront our grief. We need to, number one, acknowledge living in the confusing in-between. All right, here's the deal. Jesus got up on Sunday. The third day. But if you and I are in grief, we're living in the Saturday part of that calendar. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and Saturday, which, which is bef- between crucifixion and resurrection. Can somebody shout Saturday? Saturday is both the day after and it is also the day before. It is the day after horrendous crucifixion it is the day after inconceivable trauma, but it is also Saturday is also the day before the greatest triumph in human history, resurrection. You see the point. <laughs> Saturday is the day is the day after death appears to be permanent and in control, but Saturday is also the day before death is overturned. Permanent death is overturned with. The inconceivable resurrection of life. Now, I I, I pause here just for a moment to make a really big deal here. Because, you see, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, the disciple John, those who, who, who went to sleep on Friday night, traumatized, feeling a sense of hopelessness. They woke up on Saturday and they had to engage Saturday. All they knew were, was, was that they were, they, were living in the, they were living in the day after. They did not know that they were also living in the day before. 
and somebody's listening to me, I want you to hear today that, that you're living in the day after. When we talk about grief, we talk about the loss of loved ones. But when we talk about grief, we talk about the loss of relationships, that, that marriage that ended in divorce after pouring so many years into it, or that courtship that is just falling apart. Uh, you're living in the day after the business has, has crashed, that new startup that had all of your dreams attached to it. You're living in the day after that, 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 that your, your best hopes and dreams for your, your kids or your grandkids are suddenly being challenged and turned upside down. You're living in the day after. You're a high school student. You decided you want to go to that college, but you just discovered yesterday. Come on, in the day after, you can't go to that college. You have to choose a different college. You're living in the day after. But, but God wants you to hear that not only are you living in the day after, the unimaginable, the trauma, the pain, the death, but you're also living, come on now, because, because of Jesus, you're also living in the day before, the unimaginable, the inconceivable possibilities of fresh and brand new life. Yeah. New love, new life, new hope, new possibility. Tell somebody you're living in the day before. Yeah. Your day after is the day before. <laughs> the problem with us who are believers is that we, we tend to want to leapfrog Saturday. We, we want to skip over Saturday. The problem, but when we do, we, we, we short-circuit our own development. We short-circuit our own growth. We short-circuit what God is trying to do in our lives, even in the midst of that Saturday. We've got to follow Jesus through the Saturdays, y'all. Uh, real life is made up of Good Fridays, Saturdays, and Resurrection Sunday mornings. We, 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 we've got to engage the Saturday. That's the place of our grief. As painful and horrendous as it is, we've got to engage Saturday. You know, when we think about leapfrogging over Saturday, another way to talk about it is the unhealthy ways in which we respond to grief. You know, let me just give you a couple of real quick examples. We're throwing them up on the screen. For some, that unhealthy way shows up as denial. You know, you lost your job and your response is, it's no big deal. I'm fine. And you know you're falling apart on the inside. It's minimization, you know. This is the person who says, well, you know, my, my child is, um, you know, he's, he, he, he's trusting God and he's only drinking every now and then. But the fact is, he's drinking himself into the ground every day. But you minimize. Or it's blame, you know. It's blame the doctor, you know, gave the wrong medicine. That's why my, my loved one is, is sick. Or you blame yourself. It's my fault that, that one of my parents don't love me the way that I think that she or he should love me and that they're, and that they're, and that they're active alcoholics. Something has to do with me or that their marriage fell apart. It's my fault blaming yourself, right? It's uh, uh, rationalization. Come up with an alibi or, or an excuse, you know. This is the person who says, you know, the reason why my loved one uh, cannot complete any treatment programs is because he is biologically predisposed to anger, right? Uh, or you're easy, you, you try to distract when you, when you deal with the pain or you deal with the loss, you use humor or sarcasm to distract. You say, no, let's not focus on the negative. Or you, or you bounce out of the room in hostility. Why are you talking about John? He's dead. I don't want to talk about it. He's dead. 
These are unhealthy ways of dealing with this notion of loss. Now, let me read something for you. Uh, Marissa Renee Lee is the author of the book called Grief is Love, Living with Loss. Her mom died of stage four breast cancer and multiple cirrhosis. They both lived in New York. She writes this about the situation and her grief. Two weeks after burying my mother, I was back at work. I was determined to maintain the appearance of someone who had moved on. But each morning as I ascended the subway stairs and left the train behind to begin my walk to the office, I did so with a fire burning in my chest, heart racing, blood pumping so hard it was all I could hear. Palms sweating, I put one foot in front of the other foot until I could reach the basement of my investment bank office where I hid my daily panic attacks and overwhelming grief for months. And then she writes, we must not mistake a return to normal life as the end of someone's pain. For Marissa, she was hoping to leapfrog over Saturday by pretending, okay, I'm past it all. But here's the problem. When we don't deal with, with, the, with loss in, in a healthy way, allowing our faith, come on, to empower us, then, then, then it, 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 it settles in us like corrosive acid. It, it, tend, it begins to leak from us into the relationships around us. And, and, and unprocessed grief turns nice people into mean people, turns uh, happy people, hope-filled people into cynical people, turns loving people into hostile people. It drives us to drink and to drug and to, into violence and to a whole host of destructive behaviors. And we miss our opportunity to grow into the next season of the person that God has called us to be. You see, one of the reasons why we're afraid of dealing with grief is because it feels to us like grief is going to have the last word. If I start crying, I won't be able to stop. Come on, if, 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 if I confess all of the feelings that I have, that, 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 that God will abandon me and walk away from me. But, but the, the announcement, he's alive, he lives, uh, is the announcement that no matter how intense your grief is, that it will not have the last word over your life. Jesus will. The resurrected one. You can trust him to allow yourself to work through the grief. Now, let me just say this. The Bible teaches us to own our grief. And I, I want to underscore this because so often from the pulpit and from various uh, places across the church, it feels like we're saying to you, uh, jump from Good Friday to Resurrection Sunday and, and, and deny your grief. Deny your pain. Turn it off. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that we are called to own our grief. Notice Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. It's a remarkable text, right? Uh, first time we see God owning grief. It says, and the Lord saw just how evil humans had become on the earth. And all day long, the only thing they thought about, their deepest thoughts had to do with evil. There was nothing but uh, evil. And then the, the verse goes on to say, watch this verse. The Lord was sorry that he had made humans on the earth. Watch this. And he was, here it is, exposed grief. 
heartbroken. And the whole Bible uh, is about exposed grief and working through grief. Come on now. I mean, I mean you, you, you can't look throughout the biblical text without finding various places where, 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 where grief is being dealt with. You know, uh, more than a third of the Psalms has to do with with people lamenting and crying out to God. Jeremiah was a great prophet, and he was also called the weeping prophet because he wrote an entire book, Lamentations, uh, as, as he cried out and lamented and, and struggled to find God in the midst of, of, of the fall of Jerusalem and, and the exile of the Jewish people and to hear a word from the Lord. And, 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 and Job writes an entire book, his whole book, written about Job as he's grappling with confusion and pain and anger over the, of the unjust, uh, evil stuff that's happening to his life. And he's trying to find God in it and, 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 and confronting friends who are misunderstanding even why he's where he is. And, and, and ultimately in the New Testament, we find the greatest example of all, right? The God that I read about in Genesis chapter 6 becomes flesh. And in the Gospel of John, we find him in chapter 11 in the face of, of Mary crying and weeping with their community about the loss of her brother Lazarus. The text tells us that Jesus exposes his grief and it declares, then Jesus wept. Then Jesus wept. And part of what allows us to engage with this is to remember that our day after, which calls us to weep and to work through our grief, is also the same as our day before. Uh, 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 there, there is a last word, and it will not be the grief. It will not be the loss. God has a last word. So draw strength from that, that he who was dead lives again, and let him empower us to do the work of grief. In our lives. It's a necessity. So number one, we live in that confusing in between. Number two, the second thing we need to do is that we grieve as an act of love and faith. Can you say that? We grieve. Say it with me. As an act of love and faith. You, you grieve as an act of love. You know, um, the fact of the matter is, is simply this. If you've lost uh, a beloved, then you're crying and your anger, your pain is in some ways a remarkable love letter that declares because you're absent from my life, my life is coming unglued. It says how much you meant to me. We grieve as a like act of love. We grieve as an act of love for that child that we lost, that sibling that we lost. We grieve as an act of love for that parent that we lost, for that friend that we lost, that it is our way of declaring, this is how much you matter to me. My deep grief reveals great love. And I will allow myself to grieve as a testament of how much I love you. And then it is also an act of faith. It's an act of faith that oftentimes we, we refuse to grieve because we feel like if we're honest with God about how we're feeling about God, that God 
cuts us loose and abandons us and walks away from us. But when we are grieving and crying and screaming and yelling, notice Job who screams at God, Elizabeth, who uh, Mary who screams at Jesus, you know, the, the Habakkuk who cries out at God uh, uh, that, 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 that if, we, if we let God know how we feel, this notion is he's going to cut us off. That is just not true. He has loved us with an everlasting love. His love is sure. And he understands loss uniquely. He understands your loss. So, how do we do it then? I've kind of hinted at it already. As I walk through these uh, emotions, right, pour out our feelings. That's, that's number one. And I walk through these emotions. If you've gone through grief, you're working through grief now, can you identify with any of these? Anger, confusion, depression, fluctuating emotions. I'm okay one moment, the next moment I'm falling apart. Those are legitimate, appropriate expressions of grief. And as you think about how do I, as I pour myself out, make sure you're aware of the tools that God has given us to help us to work through our grieving. Tools for grieving. Here, here, here they are right here. Prayer. Pray through it. Write about it. Talk about it. Cry it out. Tell stories about the loved ones that, that have gone, have slipped from time to eternity. If you listen to my preaching on a regular basis, you hear me talking about people who have slipped from time to eternity, my grandma, my uncle, and others. Uh, but I keep telling those stories. And find ways to frame a remembrance, to remember them. You know, I've been, I haven't been back to Cachetta, Louisiana, where I grew up at for, since this whole pandemic. But prior to the pandemic, every year I would go back home and we've sold the property that I grew up on, the house and the property. Uh, it's owned by another family member. But every time I return, I go to that place and I walk across the grounds and I'm remembering. I look at the old the shack now. It's a shack, the house that I grew up in. And it's falling down and, and I walk around and I look and I remember. And I have a flood of memories that flow through my mind. My grandaunt, my granduncle, stories attached to it, and I shed tears, and I smile, and I laugh, and I give thanks. That's a part of my ritual, remembering. Every Mother's Day, I give out a bouquet of flowers to an unsuspecting mother who's a part of our NBCC community. It is part of my ritual. It's a part of my remembering my grandaunt, her smile, her discipline, her prayers, the woman that she was, and I give thanks. I give thanks. What's your ritual of remembrance? And then notice this statement. Grief is never conquered. You never actually win the battle of grief because the loss that you're experiencing always remains a loss. So while it is never conquered, we learn to live with loss plus hope. We learn it, we relearn it, and we learn it, and we relearn it as we move forward. Live with loss plus hope. That gets me to my third and final point here. I want to suggest that number, number one, remember the, the in where we acknowledge the confusing in between. Number two, Make the decision to grieve as an act of love and faith. And number three, 
in the process of grieving. It may be six months. It may be a year. It may be a year and a half. But in the process of grieving, God will signal, will, allow, will, 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 will free you to do this. You'll, you'll begin to move the focus of grief from burial to birth. Come on, somebody shout, from burial to birth. Notice John 19. I love this passage. I love, I love this passage, John 19. Notice what it says. It says, the place of crucifixion was near a garden. Somebody shout garden. It was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid the body of Jesus, not in a grave, but in a garden. <laughs> I can't help but think of the words of Jesus as he, he would say earlier in John chapter 12. He'd say, he would say, he'd say uh, uh, unless a seed, a single seed die and is buried, it remains a single seed. But the moment it dies and is buried, it then produces many seeds and a great harvest. Oh my goodness, listen to me, listen to me. That, 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 that as I navigate and work through the pain of my Saturdays, come on now, uh, as I work through the pain of my Saturdays with the confidence that I can do it because there is a resurrection Sunday, an inconceivable possibility that God guarantees in my future because I, I do the work with God through it. Y'all ain't listening to me. Because I do, then, then it, it makes it possible for something new to be born out of my grief. Something new to be born out of my great sense of loss. Something new. You know, I, I've had, uh, I know of uh, parents who've lost their kids and something new comes out of that. I'm going to tell you what that is in a minute. I'm thinking of other families who've gone through grief. Something new comes out of that. And, and here's three things that begins to happen in our transition as we learn to keep living with grief, loss, and hope. Number one, we come to a place where we can celebrate what we had. I, I told you I'd stop by my old place where I used to live and grow up at. And what I was doing, walking across what I just shared with you, I'm celebrating what I had. I'm giving things. I'm not just mourning it. I'm, I'm celebrating what I had. Oh, the, the joy and the blessing and the gift of having my grand aunt and my grand uncle in my life. I celebrate it. And then we learn to cherish what we have. Cherish what we have. Notice the psalmist in Psalms 39, verse 4, here's what he says. This is the lesson of loss. This is one of the great lessons of death if we engage it, right? Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me my days are numbered and how fleeting life is. And, 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 and inside of that lesson, something new is born inside of me that I'm a greater and better and more efficient steward of my time. I prioritize relationships over everything else. I am mindful of the moments that I'm in rather than racing to the future. Oh, yes. It's a better version of you. It's a better version of me, and then we cultivate the not yet. 
Yes, as God works with us in our grief, we cultivate the not that. Here, here's, here's, here it is. Let's, let's lay in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. Listen to what Paul writes. Listen. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Yes, you are. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. Check it out. When they are in trouble. There it is right there. God comforts us as we do the work of working through our Saturdays, of working through our griefs, and, and, and the comfort that we come to know as we work through our Saturdays in light of the hope of Resurrection Sunday. Come on now. We are now transformed into individuals who can bring comfort to our neighbors and to our friends and to our loved ones in the midst of their great tragedies and griefs. When they are troubled, the text says, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. As we do the work of grief, we're cultivating the not yet. I think of parents, as I was saying a few moments ago, who've lost the, uh, kids who are now instruments of comfort and strengthening to other parents who've lost kids. I think about a gentleman right now whose wife was a victim of, of um, long-term COVID. Uh, we call it a COVID long hauler. She couldn't take it anymore. She took her life. And, and out of that horrendous pain, he has now raised up an organization that is identifying and working with long haulers to make sure that they don't do what she did. There's something new that's being born, that's life-given, that's inconceivable, that's happening out of the place of great loss. And we can, we can pursue it. We can do the work. Why? Because last weekend, as I said, <laughs> Easter Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene turned around and she saw the resurrected Lord. He was not a dead body. He was alive. And she shouted, Rabbani, you are alive. You are alive. You are alive. Can somebody shout, he lives. Yes, he lives. He's alive. And because he's alive, it is now true that the day shall come when every, every tear and every sorrow and every pain shall be wiped away. Our grief will not have the last word. Loss will not have the last word. Because he lives, there comes a time when death and hell shall be cast into the lake of fire, as the scripture declares. All injustice and evil will not have the last word. Because he lives, there comes a time when the cry will be made that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where? is your sting. Thanks be to God who gives us victory over sin and over death through our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, somebody shout, he lives because he lives I can face tomorrow despite the grief of the day. Because he lives all fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life remains worth living just because he lives. Amen, amen, and amen. Okay, you can imagine how important this moment is, right? This is an opportunity for you not just to turn the computer off and go on about your business. This is an opportunity for you to change the 
to make a shift in your life. Scan the QR code right on the screen. It's going to take you to the next steps with Jesus. And here's your opportunity. Here's your moment. Here's your moment to say, I want to be a Jesus follower. I want to invest my life into he who is alive, who has conquered and destroyed the power of permanent death. Or it's a chance for you to reaffirm your faith. Or if you need more information, there's a box for you to check. Now, if you've checked any of those boxes, you want us to reach out to you. There's a place for you to indicate that we would love to reach out to you. And then I've shaped a, 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 a response to the message. It's really a prayer. And uh, here's the prayer. Just pray it with me. And I want to encourage you to pray this throughout the course of this week as you work through whatever grief you're dealing with, whatever loss you're dealing with in your life. God, give me the strength to grieve with the hope of Jesus' resurrection. That grief and loss will not have the last word, but you'll have the last word. And because I believe that, I have the strength to engage my grief knowing that you're with me. And then here is the... Uh, uh, reflection question that I want you to take a, uh, consider. Uh, simply this. What past or current loss is God inviting me to grieve? You might want to re- revisit this message a few times and we'll put some more resources on our website to help you. Now listen guys, we'll be right back here for week two, should I? Uh, both at 9 and 11 a.m. Pacific time. And if you're in the local Bay Area, just come on, check us out at one of our local campuses Uh, at 11 a.m. here in the Bay Area.